Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, and ex-Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny BT. And we've got an Englishman in Paris joining us on the show very shortly, so we can't wait to have a chat with him and see how he's getting on. But from an Englishman in Paris to a Scotsman in Hossegore, how's your week, Johnny? How you doing? It's been good. It's been good so far. I think about, it's about to take an ugly turn. Start off well Sunday again, covered La Rochelle Toulon, which was great, but now we're dodging the winter vomiting virus as i think everyone is um it was 30 degrees here today mate but everyone's winter, got it oh, <laughs> exactly oh it's ridiculous but the winter vomiting bug uh it's been kicked off by everyone sweating too much in 30 degrees um a pile of kids are home our middle kid cora came home giving it the i feel sick so she's currently up hugging a bucket on the couch oh. watching some frozen so i'm waiting for the impending doom and the redecoration of the house and that sort of brown orange color that you spend on your hands and knees <laughs> mopping up for the next few days um, and if you see me looking slim over autumn you know why but yeah just waiting for that to kick in but otherwise good mate all well and healthy for the minute and you mate you've been saying that you've been under the weather as well just too many late nights covering the women's world cup or what's been happening i think so lack of sleep and a diet of nothing but sandwiches is not going to be good for anyone is it and chips there's always chips yeah through the night in ealing some good games awesome games none more so than england france which was a cracker a cracker but yeah i wish i was on the same time zone as them <laughs> I think everyone does, mate. It is well, it's been awesome to watch. It's been great to catch up as even the ones that we haven't seen live, the catch up and the viewership they've had. Um, I think ITV got nearly 900,000 in a peak um, for their biggest That's game right. for the England game. So like, it's amazing that the numbers that are tuning in and watching and engaging with it, um, it's fantastic. So even if it's not live, highlights afterwards, you're obviously doing a great job on your side of the good job. Tim. <laughs> Thanks so very well much. Done. It's all down to you. <laughs> well, we will keep you on the podcast as long as possible because clearly you don't want to go and clear up sick so we should no, chat some 100 <laughs> <laughs> before we bring our guest in we should have a quick chat about the week in french rugby never dull plenty <laughs> to discuss we'll start with the positives fabian galtier has named his 42-man squad for the autumn nation series mm-hmm. so what do you make of it any surprises no i think as expected generally a couple of surprises because it's on a large squad there's 42 men as you mentioned so uh, raka back in after terrorizing defenses over the past seven rounds of clermont pablo Iberti from bordeaux he's been back in form and causing havoc as well for for bordeaux 
a new one that not many people will know is Ethan Dumortier. He scored two tries against Montpellier this weekend. It was excellent all around. He's part of the crop that won the under-20s World Cup in 2019. He came off the bench then. Um, but a winger looks like a, a massive future ahead of him. Thomas Laclayette, the tight head from Oyonnax. He's the only pro do player. Alexandre Beconnier, the Montpellier back row, who's been in and out. Will he get more game time? We don't know. Leo Berdeux, the standoff uh, from Lyon as well, who's part of that big win at Montpellier for Lyon. Probably going to be third choice behind Intermac and Jalibert, but you know, he's fought off some fairly big names to get there. Um, Red Awardy from La Rochelle, the Lucid, big aggressive, scrummaging, ball carrying, bashing Lucid, who's decent as well. And Jordan Joseph, probably the other wild card. So there's maybe seven or eight names people don't know too much about, but the rest of the squad settles as you would expect. But are any of them going to be bolters and get real game time? We'll wait and see. But the squad right now looks settled um, and fairly comfortable. I was going to say, we'll chat about it a bit more nearer the time, but with a squad that big, the names like Leclerc, Birdo, are they going to get any game time or are they there for, for experience? Do you think we'll see quite a settled side throughout all of the games for France? Well, I don't know. I got, at 10, for instance, you've got Intermac, who's named. He's obviously carrying an ankle injury. You've got um, Jalibert as well, who's been out with injuries. Well, so you don't know at what time these guys are going to come back to fitness. It's a real opportunity even for to go in and train properly, effectively, and drive training and show what he can do leading in a 10 jersey through the training session. So there's a chance he might get some game time. The other names, Joseph, probably less likely, Laclaia, less likely from Prodeu, but it's a 42-man squad because the intensity of the training they get through and the numbers required are absolutely massive. So um, it is a big old squad. Are some of those fringe guys going to get game time? I think that'll come down to injuries and availability nearer the, the test matches when they're announced. Um, but look, they'll be absolutely delighted again to be involved, stick their hand up, be part of the squad, be in front of Fabian Galtier, as we always are, to just to be in front of an international coach because they know what you can offer. And therefore, with one year to the World Cup, you're able to show what you can do in front of that coaching staff. So um, maybe not too much change in evolution, but still a big opportunity just to be there for some of those guys, strangely. And I suppose if there are changes, the first up Australia, then South Africa, it's most likely to be that third game against Japan. Yeah, purely because they played against them this summer, but they played against them this summer with a changed team. Um, so I'm not too, like, I think Fabian want to go through these three games and try and absolutely annihilate the opposition. I don't think he'll be looking to change too much, even for Japan in the last game. I think he'll want to um, to put a decent score on. Um, so I, I can't see there being too much rotation. I mean, that might be different with injuries, but I think you'll want to put on a real show and a demonstration, um, especially with the games being moved around different grounds in France. They're not all in Paris. You've got um, down in the south coast as well. So it's a real chance to take the game to different parts of France um, and for these these players and for the coaching staff to show what they can do against these big rugby nations. Okay, on to the negatives. Yeah. Breathe. So they lost 45-7 at home to, to lose. That can happen. But that's led to Jeremy Davidson losing his job. So yeah. We've chatted a bit about them in recent weeks. Is this decision linked to the new investment they've got coming in and increased expectation already or, or what's happened? It's a, well, it's a strange one and it isn't because Jeremy Davison had just signed an extension to 2024, 2025, I think. So a big contract extension for him and largely across the last two, three, four, five seasons, he's done a really good job with Brief. But that game, I'm not sure if that game has just been the straw that's broke the camel's back, but they look totally outclassed and bereft of ideas. And I'm not sure for the new ownership or for whoever is the custodian of the club now, if they said, right, if we're going to make a change, it needs to be now. Um, they've announced two supplementary players that are going to sign during the week. But it isn't going to be 
easy. Like you have stability and a structure behind the scenes with Jeremy going now, that makes it more difficult. You've got to scramble midway through the season to get yourself together, find a way of playing and find a different way of playing really quickly. You've got Arno Mella that's in charge. Arno Mella was coaching at Albi two seasons ago in Federal 1. Um, he hasn't had much management experience at the top level. So it's now a massive task for him. It's not like you're bringing in a really experienced head coach or somebody with a big reputation or somebody that can give you a quick fix. It's untested as well. So it is the nature of the beast. It's disappointing for Jeremy Davidson, who is widely, largely respected for the job he's done with Brief. My worry for them now is when you go into this relegation battle, and don't get me wrong, it's already started between Bayonne, Brief, Perpignan, and Poe, is you now lose two more games and you're gone. Like your confidence is shot and you're completely gone. So they need something, a shot in the arm really quickly, an injection of different ideas and ingenuity and confidence that needs to come quickly. And is that going to come from Arno Mella? I'm not quite sure. But the question really is now, can they keep the club in the top 14 before this investment arrives? Because if they go down to Pro D2, it's another rebuild. It's a starting from scratch and it becomes even more difficult. And you mentioned the job Jeremy Davidson's done. I think he's been there four years, took them up from Pro Do. He's kept them in the top 14 and, and they've yep. largely been competitive over, over the last couple of years. So you shouldn't be underestimated how big a job that is. Other people wouldn't have been able to achieve those things. No, not at all. And look, he did the same thing with Oriac and Pro Do previously. It wasn't glamorous rugby, but it was winning rugby. They won their home games. They managed to pick off a few opponents on the road. Um, and they just find a way of getting things done. But I think for him, unfortunately, it's just been the manner of that defeat. Um, he's been given the boot effectively straight after the final whistle, um, which is never nice to go through. And there was meetings going on through the game. Apparently, that has been in French press, meetings through the game to say, look, this can't go on. We need to change. And so it's disappointing for him, disappointing for the club. Can they turn it around and, and change the way they're playing? I'm not sure. I think it's going to be really hard. But for him on a personal level to have that, go on and to be given the boot after kickoff or the day after um, must have been extremely hard as well. So disappointing for him, hard for Breve, um, but I think it's going to get hard over the next few weeks to find a pattern of playing, find confidence and win some games quickly. And You mentioned you were covering the Sunday night game between La Rochelle and Toulon. We spoke a bit about it last week and you said it's always going to be tough to beat La Rochelle at home, clearly, but Toulon playing well, you could see potentially it happening, but La Rochelle had too much in the second half, didn't they? They were exceptional. And that as well, given the team that Toulon went there with, with some real expectations, um, it was a war. Like the gain line war was, it was almost hard to watch at some bits, but carries by Skelton, Antonio, like Greg Aldra again. Greg was absolutely exceptional. They're just so hard to contain. And then defensively, they're so solid. Um, work by Raymond Rule, Jonathan Dante, they just shut out any time or space that Toulon had and they couldn't cope. And as I said, they went there with a big team to try and turn La Rochelle over, but that was almost effectively a big marker laid down by La Rochelle to say, come here effectively at your peril um, because they were utterly dominant and they bludgeoned Toulon through the game. They had three tries, rolling malls. Um, but throughout the game, whenever it got into multi-phase or phase play, uh, La Rochelle just absolutely bullied them. And I was about to say friend of the show, not friend of the show, he hasn't been on yet. Friend of yours, Matthew Bastro, from a Toulon yep. perspective. Good to see yep. him back. Good to see him back. He played again um, last week, a couple of decent interventions. He's still just so precious over ball, like whether it's 13 on his back or as a back rower now, he's so good in the contact area and he's so hard to move. But there's big changes in roles that he's really adapted to, like off the base of the scrum, like technically looks decent, 
running the ball back from deep, like he won, uh, ran a really nice ball back down the middle of the pitch, but then saw Cheslin Colby with a centre outside and managed to link and send him down the blind side. So he's got a bit of finesse. Like he, he, he because he come from centre, he's technically very good, but he can then, he's got vision with it as well in situations that somebody like me wouldn't have the vision. Um, so no, delighted to see him back, delighted to see him fit. And I think he'll just get better as the season goes on with more and more game time under his belt, which is great. And the champions, Montpellier, they lost at home to Leon, didn't they? Yeah, and I'd say that's the pick of the week's results. Going to the champions um, and turning them over convincingly was some result. Berdeau, he's been picked up in the, the French squad as a third choice 10. He was excellent. Tofua was good, a run back in the team for him. But globally, they looked hungry. Again, after me criticising them last week and saying I didn't really know how they were trying to play, what they were trying to do, they went away from home and found a really big performance. So really impressed by them. Uh, their backline as well, I thought was misfiring and didn't know what was happening, but came up with some really nice combinations, broke down the Montpellier defensive line and time and time after again, got them on the back foot and converted their chances. So probably the result of the weekend um, for Leon, a massive result away from home. And another team that we said probably needed a big win, Bordeaux at home to wrestling, they got one. Yeah, finally. And I think mentally, if not, <laughs> if nothing else, that's absolutely what they needed. Loads of criticism in the press for how they're playing, confidence, heads down. Christoph Urios being asked tough questions week in, week out in press conferences and getting a little bit tasty. And they just needed a win. And one team that they seem to have had a lot of joy against over the past two, three seasons has been Racing. They seem to have smashed them every time I can remember. They're playing, they've won away in Paris as well recently, a couple of times as well. But a big result. They just ground Racing down. They didn't have enough to stop them. And Bordeaux finally, you know, six, seven games in, looking like the side that we've seen over the past two, three seasons. So a big win for them, but more importantly, a big mental stepping stone onto getting back on the horse. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Let's get our guest on now then. And he's a man who swapped England for New York State and has now made Paris his home. Rusting 92 winger, former NFL man, Wasps, England star, 
Christian White joins us. How you doing? Hey guys, how you doing? Um, really absolutely great right now. We actually just finished our first big day of the week. So tomorrow's the day off, which most professionals always look forward to. So, you know, I'm chilled right now. Good. And how is Paris treating you? And if you've got a day off tomorrow, what are your plans? Well, funny enough, although it's a day off, it's it's really just like a day off from, from the everyday schedule. I still want to be quite busy. I've actually got a few interviews I'm doing tomorrow. Just moved into a new house over here as well. So trying to organise furniture and going back to America to sort out my house over there, to bring stuff over and shipping and stuff. So, you know, it's a day off from, you know, the mental side of things, you know, watching video, but it obviously gives me the opportunity to um, do other stuff, which is obviously quite important. As you get older, you know, you have more responsibilities and stuff like that. So, Amen, Johnny. As you get older, Amen. Eh? As we get older. <laughs> it happens to us all. It's an admin day. It's an admin day. That's what your wife would tell you. Um, I mean, you got married about a year ago. So was the move to Paris an easy sell? Was she up for moving to Paris? I mean, to be honest, uh, my wife's a model influencer and like, you know, media presenter type of thing. So she um, she's very open to um, new stuff in terms of moving. You know, she was with me in London or should I say in Coventry, Um you know, when I was with Wasps and then when I obviously decided to retire and start, you know, getting ready for a big move, which obviously wasn't wasn't dead certain that would happen. You know, I was kind of moving, bouncing around from hotels to hotels. You know, it was just quite a tough time as well. She was with me through that. And then um, went to Florida for like a four-month camp to then try and get onto a team. So, you know, moving around is something that we've been doing for the last five years so yeah when obviously the opportunity came up to go to Paris you know I think she was a bit like I know we're moving from New York you know somewhere where she's more familiar with um we've been for the last four years but she she was definitely up for the adventure and you know moving to Paris which is you know another huge fashion capital you know there's opportunities there that we can open up for her career um as well as mine so it's, it's something new for both of us. We're adjusting as as well as we can. But, um, you know, everything's been going going well so far. And uh, like you said, we got married. It's it's this, it's nearly a year. Like, I've, it's on the 20, 21st or 22nd is our anniversary. So <laughs> mate, don't forget that date. It's important, mate. It's the first <laughs> one. The don't first one, up. especially. Yeah, yeah. I need to double check. I need to double check. <laughs> you know, we've always got training as an excuse. For how we do it the day after, babe, or you know, the day before. <laughs> you won't be short of places in Paris to find a present, I'm sure, Christian. You'll be fine. And so, mate, how did that move to Racing come about? You've already touched on so many points Wasps, the NFL, like we'll try to unpack everything. But initially and most recently, the move to Racing, because we saw you playing in a seven events there and then the contract was signed soon after. But how did it all happen? How did that pan out on the move back? So um, you probably saw it in like the media and stuff after getting hurt in the NFL. Um, they kept me on for the year. And then basically once I was fit and healthy or near enough and healthy, um, they had released me um, just at the beginning of like OTAs. And it was, would have been my fourth year over there. Um, so, you know, I was looking at some other teams potentially going in you know, doing some workouts and tryouts and stuff with other teams and stuff. But um, 
ultimately I was I was looking at the options to go back into rugby. But from going from rugby, which um, you know is professional in its own right, to the NFL, you know it's it's a million a million miles apart, and um, it's not just because of the money, but it's the you know just the way and the the culture, um, you know the I guess it's the mindset of of everybody, including coaches, staff, management, players across the board. Coming back into rugby would be like. Not necessarily a backward step, but I didn't want it to be a backward step. So I was, you know, keen to look at going back into rugby, but I wanted to make sure I went somewhere where I could still, you know, better myself as an athlete because that's all I ever care about anyway. You know, never really cared about money as long as I could pay the bills and take care of the family. But it's always been about trying to be the best I can be. And like I said, I want to learn every day. I want to get better. And the NFL gave me that for three years, which is amazing. So coming back into rugby, there was a lot of years where I wasn't able to do that. And when I did kind of push for that, you know, I was blocked. And um, that's ultimately what pushed me to want to retire from the sport and try something else. So going back, I went, you know, opened my eyes up to a lot of new things. You know, I've experienced some stuff that, you know, no rugby player is ever going to experience unless they decide to make that move. So I see myself as, you know, set apart from everybody in a completely different way now. So I believe I have a lot to offer. And, um, you know, I wanted to go to a team that would uh, would understand that and a team that would also, um, you know, see the benefit in having me in the, in the locker room with the team and also being able to put performances out there on the field. So that was kind of a long answer. But ultimately, I was shopping around a little bit, you know, putting a couple of feelers out there, the media kind of caught wind of it um, through Van Dell. I think uh, Chris Ashton got the His record. Fault. Yeah, yeah. Chris, Chris Ashton got the record. So then obviously Van Dell was the former record holder for most tries in the premiership. Um, I was I was at third, now I'm in fourth, I think. And ultimately Van Dell just said, oh, if Christian has anything to do with it, then Ashton won't be number one for much longer. And so obviously when teams saw that I was doing media saying, oh, I am interested in rugby, people started putting two and two together. So, um, yeah, I basically went around to a few different clubs um, in private type thing, had a few conversations and uh, Racing was among those teams. And, um, you know, ultimately I went down there, they invited me over for seven days for a week, did some training, had a look at the facilities. And um, I saw that they were playing in the um, the sevens tournament. And, um, you know, I had been lucky enough to play with players like Ollie Phillips and Dan Norton. And um, uh, I didn't actually play with Tom Biggs, but he was someone who I looked up to coming through playing on the sevens circuit, played against him in 15s and stuff. And um, they were coaching China seven. So I saw that as an opportunity for me to, while I was back home, to train with them, get some, you know, throw the ball about a little bit, see see if I still had the skills. Nah, I'm joking. I knew, <laughs> I, know, I know I still had it, but I just wanted to, you know, get a feel for the ball. I hadn't watched rugby for, for about four or five years. And um, yeah, like I said, fast forward to being at Racing, um, I was like, oh, it'd be cool to like, you know, maybe play with the sevens team if you guys you know, wanted some help and stuff. And, you know, they looked at it as an opportunity to have a look at me as well. 
see we'll see how I uh, what my fitness levels are like and stuff. And uh, you know, once we did that, next thing you know, um, you know both both parties are happy. And I said, you know, if if you guys would want me to be here, which ultimately they did, you know, we signed on the dotted line. So that's that's kind of how kind of how it came about. And then. You know, there are there was obviously some players there already who knew me, some staff as well who were able to throw in a good word for me as well. You know, and presumably, like you said, you would have had other offers. Racing, you've mapped out there why it's such an attractive proposition. Who who was it at Racing who approached you? Was it someone? Was the owner? Was it someone on the coaching staff? No, nah, so we um, it's basically done through like agent friends of mine. In terms of the, you know, looking at teams who I thought would be cool to kind of look at, really. Um, so obviously, Racing, I would say is, you know, if not the best, has the best setup in the world, probably. And obviously, now I've been there for nearly two months. You know, I see, I see why, and obviously, the big part of that is um, Jackie's, you know, his mindset and his love for the game, but also his um, business acumen as well to be able to run it like a real business. Um, and also he wants to win championships, you know, and he, the way he's doing it is with his family orientated. And, um, you know, for me, family is everything, um, just like my faith. And, um, you know, I can, I can see why they're going to be a successful team in years to come. And it's not like a, sh- a short-term plan. It's, it's real long, you know, it's, it's going to go on for decades. So, um, you know, you're only going to see great things happening for wrestling, you know, if not in the near future, um, if I have anything to do with it, but definitely in the long term. What was it like getting back involved? Like, obviously, there's physiological differences in the NFL and rugby and the conditioning is completely different. But what were the, di- again, for like, for me, different sport, but I understand there'll be massive differences. So when you moved to the NFL running back, what did they want to change or alter? Obviously, you've got incredible talent but what did they want to build on and apply? And then coming back to rugby, what are the things you've had to alter or change again, moving back into like a 15s cardiovascular, constantly running? What are the big differences that you've noticed? Yeah, so the first thing was they wanted to put size on. Obviously with um, rugby, we are having to run for 80 minutes, you know, usually like at a constant pace. There's obviously some walking involved as well, but you're, you're on the field in the action for 80 minutes. Whereas obviously in the NFL, you know, they need your skill at 100%, if not 110% for, you know, six to 10 seconds. And then you're going to get a 40-second rest. And so putting on size is something that would naturally happen anyway because you're probably still going to eat the same amount you eat, if not a little bit more. You're going to be obviously being doing a lot more explosive training, strength training, stuff that's going to make you bulletproof. But then you're not going to have to, you know, you're not going to sweat as much or, sh- or shed as much weight as you would when you're, you know, like in a game of rugby, we'd be running, you know, six, seven, eight K in games um, and training probably four or five K and stuff. So it's one of those ones where, you know, if I, I'm trying to remember, I'll probably be running about two K in like NFL training sessions. So you're not running as far, but like those two K are like high speed meters all of them <laughs> most of them you know and saying that is going one way to nfl and not having to do like the nasty cardiovascular which is my least favorite part of rugby training <laughs> quite nice right putting on bulk and like explosive power explosive training i really enjoyed 
Mm. And then coming back to rugby, has that been really hard, almost starting from nothing and having to build that back in? Because it's one of the hardest bits to build into your to your physical side. Yeah, I think like I enjoyed obviously, like you say, going into NFL because it's like you get to do all the cool stuff, the stuff that everybody likes, the glamorous stuff, and then the stuff that actually looks cool when you're in the game. So like you know, scoring or making a, a break, making you know, break somebody's ankles, making people miss. It's all like the explosive, like speed work stuff. Uh, and then even like, you know, jumping to catch a ball or diving to catch a ball and stuff like that. Yeah, if you're if you're in the um, open field and you're running as a receiver or a slot receiver. But funny enough, I was a bit worried as well coming back into rugby because I've been doing training that uh, anaerobic like system, you know, for four years. Coming back, I was like, oh, it's going to be like... Hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, we we actually don't really do fitness tests at all in the NFL. The only we had the only cardio test was like um, basically we'd run from um, sideline to sideline and back. So it was like over and back. Um, you had to do it in sixteen seconds. So they they basically say don't let the clock hit seventeen seconds. So you had up to sixteen point nine nine to get over and back. And the field is 53 yards wide. So it's basically like 100, let's just call it 110, 110 yards in 17 seconds. So you, you basically 100 meters in 17 seconds, it's not very fast, right? You can do that. Yeah. Mate, you can do that quicker than you can do your first Bronco when you get yeah. back into wrestling. You're yeah. like, what, what have exactly. I changed back for? Exactly. So it's like over and back. And there's no down-ups, you know what I mean? There's no down-ups. It's literally just put on a line, go there and back. And you have to do that times 10. And I remember the first time I did it, I was just like, oh, how many sets are we doing? And we got to like rep six, seven. And it was like, oh, just one. I was like, okay. Oh, let me not say <laughs> I can do this. more because you know how it usually is. You, the more talking you do, the more rep sets they're going to throw in. But yeah, it was just one set. And that was our like cardio... Um, or should I say our fitness test on day one of training camp um, and I was just like oh, that's sweet but you do, to be honest when you're training that different system it catches up with you you get to about rep seven or eight and you do feel your lungs a little bit it's nothing crazy but you know you do kind of have to work up to it which is uh, it's quite nuts and then obviously as you are heavier so the quarterbacks would do it have 18 seconds and then the heavies they would have it they would have 20 seconds to do it and basically if you didn't complete that then you have to keep doing it until you could complete the test and get it under the, the second but you know most people did it on day one you talk about how much size you put on when you went to the nfl do you know how much you've lost since you came back to rugby do you know how much weight you've lost when i left rugby i was probably like 85 kg 84 maybe and then when I went over to the NFL I put on about 6 kg 6-7 kg so I was like 200 pounds um, which is about 90 kg 90-91 and then um, when I obviously got, did my shoulder I lost a lot of weight obviously and then um, I probably went down to about 82-81 and then obviously now I'm back up to like 85. So it's kind of weird, like because of the injury, it obviously enabled me to, I guess, down-regulate the way I've been training. 
and then build it back up with the new energy system now I want to use. So I guess it kind of, you know, worked out. Mate, what I liked earlier was you're talking about earlier being blocked from being the best version of yourself that you wanted to be. And that was what pushed you to move it to the NFL. And like, I've had conversations like weirdly with a teammate of yours, with Richie Gray. Oh, yeah. You toured with the Lions on 2000, 2013. Like, I remember played for Scotland together, but chatting to him and he'd had like pipe dreams of like, because he's a really talented athlete, like a freak for how big he is. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, I reckon I could... I reckon I could try out and make it as a tight end, but like, I wouldn't want anyone to know. I wouldn't want to lose my contract. I wouldn't want to lose the security. Yeah. But yeah. you did all that. Yeah, you yeah. basically, you forego, you came to the end of your contract and said, I don't need my this many thousand pounds coming from wasps. I'm going to go and try this NFL and try something different because I believe myself and I want to do it. And yeah. you're the 1% of rugby players that physically could do it. And then probably the 1% that mentally had the fortitude to yeah. try and do it as well. So I wanted to go back to the start where, you said that you were blocked from being the best version of yourself. And what was it you felt about rugby or the environment that you're in that capped you? And how was the process of realizing, actually, I think I could do NFL and I could give this a go and then putting it into putting it into action? Like, wh where were those points in time for you? Um, and how did it all come around? I mean, you know, just working my way through, you, ha you know, you have your selection issues and stuff like that. But as a kid, you're just like, you know, you're just going to keep going hard, keep trying, do what you can. You know, I used to work with Julian Golden, who's a close friend of uh, the family, you know, ex-Commonwealth, ex-Olympic champion, um, speed work, different stuff like that. And I've just always wanted to, like, you know, just be the best I can be for myself because that's what you hear a lot of the time. But then as I got older and was getting better at the sport, you know, I, I had a few coaches who really invested in me, but then I also had other coaches who... You know, it was a bit of a weird situation where I probably wasn't getting coached, but, you know, I was being used to score tries or um, sometimes not being used and not knowing why. And I think just ultimately I got to a point where I had enough experience. I played with a lot of different players and the way that I was able to get better was just through talking to like players and working with them rather than with coaches because, you know, it was only like, at the time, maybe two or three coaches who really, you know, invested in me or actually coached me, which I couldn't really understand, you know, because you want to be, you want to be the best. You need to be coached. You need, the, the coaches should be wanting to invest in the players and the team. And um, it just felt like it was, it was something else, you know, a lot of the time. And especially if you're the star player or you're scoring a lot of tries, you know, surely you'd want to work with those players to help them get to the next level and keep... When I say the next level, I mean the next level of performance, not the next level in terms of playing for England and all the other stuff. Because, you know, growing up, I really cared about that stuff. But then when it got to 2015, I kind of just washed my hands of it because it was just like, I feel like you play rugby in England, all anybody cares about is playing for England. But everybody's going to play for England. You know, I've got one cap. Most most people who play in the Premiership have probably got a cap. It's it doesn't to me. It doesn't mean a lot, and it might be just because of the experience I've had. But I'm sure there's loads of other people I speak to who've had a similar experience where they just kind of haven't understood why or what's really been going on. And then we're not the best team in the world, and then it just kind of begs to differ. Like what what's the real kind of um, the aim of English rugby, you know, and um, for me, if it's 
if we have coaches who just coach and make players better, have people that have, you know, teach people about mindset, want to um, actually develop their mind, develop their gameplay and teaching them the, how to play the game, it could really help to elevate um, our sport as in general. I mean, it's really interesting when you look at what's happening and we'll talk about Wasps and, and other clubs in a minute, but just in general, when you look at our sport and the state of the game and what's happened with Worcester and Wasps and potentially Ellie Giltini's bad news coming out of there as well, potentially the next few days, a different model in America, but more generally the culture, what do you think that we can look at and take from American football and apply to rugby globally that's going to help us? You've mentioned their mindset, coaching, development, individual personal development aspects, but there must be many more things that you've seen and felt and been exposed to now that you think could help take rugby to another level. You know, my biggest thing, I've actually just set up my a foundation called uh, Next Gen U. And like the slogan is like, feel good, play good, game ready, right? And the way I see it is I didn't grow up in like a private school um, or around money and stuff like that. I'm from a working class. You know, I saw, I see rugby as a sport that can change lives the way it's changed mine and so many others. But there is just like some stuff in the sport which... You know, it doesn't make sense. Usually if it doesn't make sense, you know, there's, there's probably some other stuff going on, right? But, you know, it's not for me to kind of go into that. Ultimately, I think that rugby is a great game that should be played across the world. It's still very much in the private school kind of sector. I think if you open it up and start to look at the sport and how it can help change people, help have an influence on people, and that's everybody you know, that the sport would then start to thrive. You know what I mean? I think that's part of the issue, you know, starting from the ground up. Because if you look at American sports, it's amazing to see. I spent some time with a good friend of mine, John Brown. He used to play for the Baltimore Ravens, started off at Arizona Cardinals, ended up with the Bills, the Raiders, and then Tampa Bay um, with Tom Brady as well. So he's had, you know, eight, nine, ten years as an NFL athlete. And he's he started off his little league team, which is like a flag football team. And, you know, you've got like five, six-year-olds already acting like professionals. And some people will say, oh, you know, that's not good. But it's just like, no, they're, they're actually having fun, but they're just being taught the fundamentals and being coached how to catch the ball properly. So they're like little professionals when they're playing, but they're still kids. And they'll be in the house running around using footwork on me and I'm like, yo, this is this is nuts. But if the sport wasn't widely open to everybody, you're going to miss out on a pool of, of kids and, and ultimately a pool of professionals that could help elevate the game because, of, well, you know, I'm not sure what the reason is, but, you know, it's just small things like that. So obviously with my foundation, I obviously want to, like, use the private schools because they they have the um, they have the guys who already play the game, and you know hopefully mix them those guys with other guys who maybe haven't played or who would like to play, you know to all so everyone's coming together. So then you have a nice mix of people who are keen to play rugby who actually want to learn, you know, and ultimately that's the whole you know feel good play good game ready you know bringing a different culture to it. 
you know, I have live music at my um, camps. You know, my younger brother's a drummer. You know, I have music, you know, little dance-offs and stuff. There's there's a nice little, you know, couple of little stuff that I do in there, all with a professional aspect, just so that people can see rugby in a different light, you know, so that they, when they come, it's not like, oh, this is the same, same old, like, rugby, rugby, rugby. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just a game played by kids which eventually gets changed and it becomes about something else and then people are chasing after stuff like Richie, you know, with Richie Gray, he, he wants to do this, but he has a security and, you know, it's 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 a game that, you know, it can do wonders, but, you know, there's something that happens in between where you either come out of the other end and have a, with a positive light or you come out with a negative light. And I think that, you know, you'll see in America that regardless of when the guys make it to the NFL, the NBA, um, the NHL, whatever, they always come out with a positive life. You know what I mean? I had some of the best days of my life. College ball was amazing. I got to do this. I got to do that. You know, you'd think they played in the NFL for 10 years. And it's just like, you know, in rugby, it's not always that way. And I think that, you know, we there's, there's lots that can be done. You know, the potential is massive. You know, it's a game that I love. It's a game that's changed my life and changed many people's life, like I said, but it needs to kind of be delivered differently, I think. Johnny, you've got in with World Rugby now, so you should definitely hook Christian up. Next Gen U sounds like it could be helpful across the globe if we want to broaden participation. And Well, again, it's capturing the minds of the next generation of youth, right? And expanding that and casting that net as wide and as far as we can to increase participation in our sport. Like, that's what we want. I know there's masses of work being done by World Rugby behind the scenes to try and completely change the Sivens environment. So they essentially want that to be what you've just described. So if you go to a Sivens environment for rugby, like the Hong Kong say, the Hong Kong saying is, you know, if, if you get bored, you can turn around and watch a bit of the rugby. Like it's not about the rugby. Like as long as you're around the rugby, that's yeah. okay. So like I know World Rugby, they want to have essentially concerts, live music, high-end food and drink, shopping, yeah. everything that isn't rugby but around rugby just to bring people in and then how can we generate as many kids women children involvement in the game so it doesn't matter if it's 15s and it's contact rugby it could be touch rugby it could be flag rugby like you mentioned with american football it's just how can we get as many people into our sport as possible to increase participation and make it fun like that's what it is a social scenario and a social situation where we make our best friends we learn decent values and we foster friendships like those are the keen bits for me the positive bits that you've just touched about that's the aim for everyone it has to be so yeah mate i completely agree that the, the, the positive bits and the positive, st- positive stories are what we want to bring forward and bring out of our game so didn't know about your foundation that is awesome news that it started and rolling and mate happy to make an intro of world rugby and make it make it the way the yeah, sevens to, sevens competition you'd have to check out our um, instagram um it's at ngy camps and obviously hearing you speak about that you're obviously very passionate about that and it, it seems like you've got a, a, a much more positive outlook on rugby now you're obviously back in the sport and hopefully you've got a good few years to come positively giving to the sport and the sport giving to you but you did mention back there that in 2015 you sort of washed your hands of the whole England thing it didn't seem like a very positive in, environment for you and you mentioned as well sort of being given a lot of maybe excuses or reasons that you didn't quite understand about why you weren't being picked in certain environments, particularly with England. So I remember hearing you as well say at one point, I think you you ignored a call because you were just like, I know what it's going to be. I know exactly what's going to be said. So it's just going back to, to then, 
it's difficult, isn't it? When you're in that environment, you're scoring tries for fun and you're still not getting to that level that you think you deserve to be at. So what was that like at the time? I mean, it's quite frustrating, you know, you, you feel the top try score of the league consistently for eight years or whatever it was. Um, I don't really know what, you know what I'm saying? If, you, if you're if you in the NBA, you're top top point scorer, you're going to be being rep- representing your country. You're going to be in, you're going to have like, People who want to work with you to like see if you could get better, or if you suggest to do something to try and elevate your game, you you would expect people to want to like help do that stuff. But you know, you would be like, oh, almost like, oh, you, I'm at my peak, so you can't get any better. It was, that's the kind of vibe I would get. And it's just like, well, obviously it's not good enough because I'm not getting picked. So you know, I'm I'm of this. That's how I'm wired. I want to be the best, and if I'm not playing for England, then I'm obviously not the best. I don't need to be like, oh, I'm the best, I'm doing this and whatever, like I should be being picked. If I'm not being picked, then I'm obviously not good enough. So I want to be better. You know, who who can I go to to help coach me? Um, you know, not, it wasn't really anybody in the rugby world. Um, so I would then seek my own coaches, do my own training, which helped to maintain the level I could play at. Um, it might not maintain my. It might not give me the skills that people maybe wanted me to have, or maybe think I didn't have. But it definitely was, you know, enabled me to put the performances out there, which kept people on the edge of their seats, which kept me, you know, having the stats I would have. And then, like I said, when I did have coaches that came along, like Rob Hoadley, Brad Davis, you know, Sean Edwards, Ben Ryan, at, at those times. That's when my game did go up and elevate. But other than that, I was just relying on talent, you know, and, you know, great players who I was able to play with to help teach me. You know, if you, anybody I play with, you will know, like, yeah, where he's always trying to, like, learn. he come and speak to me about this and watch, you know, watch video with guys, like, watch other sports as well. Seeing what I can learn, because I'm, I'm literally like a sponge, but I just feel, you know, in my career that there's, so many opportunities for me to got taken my game to another level, but there just wasn't, there's was no resource for it, you know? And some of those coaches you mentioned there in terms of the ones that had a real positive effect on you were defence coaches, Sean Edwards, best defence coach we've ever seen. Brad Davis, really respected in that world. At that time when you were getting frustrated, and I don't know what the excuses or the, the reasons that people were giving you in terms of England selection were, but I have heard you talk about it in the past that there was a lot of kind of I suppose you describe it as lazy journalism at the time, sort of saying, well, Christian scores tries for fun, but his defence is like this or that. And and it, it almost felt like that was a frustration for you because you felt that was an area that you worked on and you'd improved and, and it was good, but it was almost like people didn't have to watch carefully what you were doing. They'd just go to that. Oh, that's why he's not getting picked because of that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the media. So it's just like media don't know. And there is no one really knows anyway, because from England coaches, it, that those weren't, and the reasons I would get, you know, wouldn't there wouldn't really be any reasons. Uh, it just wouldn't happen for me. So ultimately, to can, to keep the story going, people had to report on something. So that's obviously they would just go for those things, you know. But um, you know, after after a while, you know, I was just kind of like it's frustrating. But I never really read uh, media stuff anyway. It's just what people would say. And then I think I spoke about it before with, with Brad Davis. He actually was like, no, let me actually pay attention to this and have a look, analyze my game, look at past videos. And he was just like, 
you're actually one of the best defenders in the league for your position. And so-and-so who's playing for England misses X amount of tackles, this, that, is like, you know, ninth, tenth in the league. So, you know, just continue to ignore that stuff. We'll keep working because he knows the type of player, player I am. And, um, you know, I just go from strength to strength. Now, when it comes to defence, like, you know, or at, at the time then, and obviously going forward, I was, you know, I could help to communicate, help other people around me so that they could be better defenders, you know, be able to read the game well, track the ball in defence. I love defence, you know, so it's, it's one of those things. Obviously, I'm never going to be the dude to, like, make big crunching tackles, like, all the time because of my size. But at the end of the day, you know, tackle's a tackle, you know, as long as you do your job, that's all that matters. It's it, like I said, you know, I've had the experience of all the rugby stuff at all the levels up to Lions. And then I've been to America for four years with one of the best teams in the league as well. As you can see, they're still getting better and better. And um, I'm still in contact with a lot of the guys, Josh Allen, Zach Moss, or all the running backs, Moe Singletary. There's so many players, you know, across the league, not just at the Bills. Their mindset matches mine. And that's why when I went there, I felt so comfortable. Um, and it just, you know, helped take me to another level in my mindset as well. Because I was just like, you know, all these years in rugby thinking that I'm the odd one out. And why doesn't anyone else think how I think? You know, I'm, is there something wrong with me? Going to there and just feeling absolutely at peace and saying, oh, this is why. Because, you know, I, I, I'm an elite, an elite professional and... I need to be around people who think the same. Otherwise, I'm going to be uncomfortable and not in a good way, you know? not It's not being comfortable in the uncomfortable environments where you're working hard. It's the uncomfortable because it's it's like a thorn in your side. Like, <laughs> you know, you don't want that thorn in your side. You want to take it out because it's just an annoyance, you know? We're trying to get somewhere, you know, what can we do to get this to this point, you know, rather than just kind of resting on our laurels. Now, I mean, I think it's, it's much harder to be that type of driver. And we talk about the people that are uncomfortable when it's comfortable. Those are your leaders and your drivers and the people that want to drive change. Um, and Sean Edwards is probably a good example of exactly that. Like you mentioned Tim and Brad Davies a little bit earlier. Um, and like mentioning those guys, we have to mention your old club um, as a former Wasp player and somebody who did so much for the club and scored so many tries and the club having done so much for you. What do you make of everything that's happening at the moment? Have you spoken to teammates, ex-teammates and checked in? What do you make of all? I haven't. I mean, I've spoken to a couple of teammates, um, but a lot of the guys uh, who were teammates of mine have already left. Uh, I've, I've spoken to Ashley Johnson, Bialo, who's kind of just joined there. And um, today I was just catching up with uh, one of the younger guys, Gabriel Ogre as well. But yeah, it's... Um, it's extremely sad, to be honest. I don't really know. It's hard to find words, you know, because I know we was in a similar position before Derek, Derek Richardson came on, you know, when Steve Hayes was um, had a meeting with us and saying, you know, he's looking to sell us and if we don't find a buyer, we could go into admin and issues with being paid late and stuff like that. I'm familiar with the, the feelings at around the time, but... Um, from what I'm hearing, the guys who had obviously been through it before didn't think that this would actually happen because we, we came out of it last time, you know, and Wasp is such a, a strong brand. 
a strong club. It's been around for years, you know. It's just sad that basically is, you know, in the position it is now, you know. You've got, you know, 40 plus players who now don't have a job, which is it's absolutely crazy to me. You know, I just don't really, it's hard to like fathom, you know, what, 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 what would be like if I was in that position right now, which could easily have been a situation for me. Um, I went in to see the boys um, in preseason this year, actually. So I was, I saw a lot of the you know staff members who were still there, and you know I was happy to see them, happy to see me. It's been four or five years, and just to think that you know now they don't have jobs, it's it's just it's crazy. I was going to mention you going in in preseason. Actually, did, was there a time when you thought you might go back there? Did you come close to coming back? Obviously, it's a blessing now that you you didn't give in everything that's that's unfolding. But there were a lot of rumours at the time, and you did go in and and see them. So that, was that something that could have happened? I mean, there's always a potential for stuff. But to be honest, I wasn't really looking to go back there. Um, you know, the Midlands life's not really for me, and with the uh, stuff that I've got going on off the field. You know, I was looking more at different different areas of England and then also looking at, like I said, you know, from my point of view, what I was trying to achieve in terms of the motivation to want to play rugby again and to take my game to, or to continue to learn. You know, I'm not just trying to go to work so I can collect a salary every month, you know, because it's, it's just not, that's just not been one of my main drivers. But, um it, you know, like I said, it could, it still could have been an option. You're still only 31, mate, which is ridiculous. You're still a young man. <laughs> so what is it that you would yeah, like to yeah, achieve? Yeah. Like if you set out, uh, like those clubs weren't right for you, this is what I'd like to achieve. What does the future look like? If you could plath that, what are you hoping to achieve over the next two, three seasons? Well, to be honest, I, won't, I have not been able to win like any major championships. You know, I've been in finals. Um, I've been in semifinals. So my my main thing is, you know, I like I said, I want to take my game to another level because I still feel like if I could have, you know, like a coach like a, you know, Brad Davis, I forgot I didn't I forgot to mention like my uh, under 18s coaches as well, like John Fletcher and uh, Peter Walton, those two um, as well. They definitely took help helped me with my development in the early years. Uh, Mark Mapletoff. You know, if I could have like a coach that I could work with, you know, I just, I just, I just have this burning desire to like really, like, want to understand rugby because I went to America for for three, was playing for three years. The amount of detail and like learning the game and stuff, and then coming back to rugby, I'm like, do I even really know rugby that well? Like, it makes me question. Like, yeah, I've been able to do great stuff and play with some great teams, but like, do I even really know this game that well? Understand it? Because the detail that we've been going into in the NFL, I'm like, I could talk to you about NFL for hours and hours. I mean, I could probably do that with rugby, but probably not in the same amount of detail, which is just, it's kind of crazy. Um, and then in terms of like my personal development as well, you know, I could score tries, I've been doing that. It's so I can do that, you know, I want to be able to like use my other skills, you know, I'm pretty good with the ball in hand, I can pass off both left and right. Uh, I can be a playmaker, make players miss. You know, I can kick a little bit. Probably should work on that some more because I haven't really kicked for a long time. <laughs> but, yeah, there's different, there's different stuff. You know that I want to explore and just like have the freedom to do. Because I think, like in rugby as well, 
there's you know I now you don't need to kick or like all right now you don't need to do this it's like what if I want to do that you know who can I go to to do it like it shouldn't be someone else making the decisions for me all the time it's just it's a bit annoying you know what I mean so um yeah those those are really my you know what I want to do you know better myself as a rugby player but win championships and then off the field you know I'm working hard on my foundation uh and you know, just, just trying to make and inspire the next generation using experiences I've had so that they won't have the same frustrations I've had. You know, that's that's a big thing that I want to do because I feel like there's players, you know, past and present who have probably gone through similar dips in terms of their how they think as me, um, the frustrations and stuff. And maybe it hasn't had, or maybe it has, it's had a negative impact on them rather than, you know, then being able to use it to drive them to do other stuff, which can, you know, can easily happen to anyone. But it just so happens that I'm wired in a certain way, probably because of the way that my parents have brought me up, which has just kind of forced me to have that determination that, you know, there's nothing I can't do and no one's ever going to stop me. Clearly the setup there is really professional. It's suiting you down to the ground at the moment. Are you- seeing yourself there for the long term in Paris with wrestling or is it just for the rest of the season and then see what happens? I mean, it's, yeah, it's really like see what happens and stuff because, you know, I'm just coming fresh out of retirement. Um, I've only signed obviously for one year and so obviously I want to see if I can still, see if it's still possible to achieve those stuff because although I'm obviously going to push for it, it's not all down to me, you know, so, you know, I would like to stay at wrestling because of the setup they have and like I said, They've got a great uh, owner, some good people there as well. Um, so that would obviously be amazing. But, um, you know, it's still a business as well. So we'd have to wait and see what happens over the, you know, the course of the season. But yeah, ultimately, uh, being in France is, is, is pretty good. But there are other options as well. You know, I was able to kind of go to the different markets just to see what the situation was. So yeah, we'll just, you know, just take it week by week, really. Um, which is kind of, kind of how I'm how I'm wired now as well. I'm actually wired day by day because in the NFL, I, you know, you can get the call at any moment. So it's not even week to week or like year to year. Like in rugby, you can get real comfortable. You know, I'm like, you know, every session, like I want to do something. There's no, you can't wait for the weekend. You can't wait for, all right, next week or next month. It's like, now nah, you need to do something now. Otherwise you could be gone. And this is the least day-by-day question ever, but I was going to say, Racing do have Stuart Lancaster coming in as head coach next season. And he gave you your England cap. You obviously worked with him. He may have also been one that gave you reasons why he wasn't picking you as well. But how would you look at that in terms of him coming in next season? Loads of water to go under the bridge before then. But is he something that you, someone that you would look forward to working under again? Oh yeah, no, for sure. Like you said, like he was someone that, well, he's the only one that gave my chance at England. You know, before him, I think it was Martin Johnson. I was just coming through the ranks at that point. Then Stuart was Stuart came in. I think he was like interim for a little bit, and they gave him like the the main job. And he gave my chance on that as well. I was doing the Saxons. Well, actually, my first year, I went to the big South Africa tour in 2011, which was amazing. You know, just to be with those guys and playing midweek games was amazing. He took me on to the Argentina tour. I had my first cap. And, um, you know, now he he definitely was a coach. Although it's like England set was a bit different, you know, with them every day. But um, 
my game definitely elevated underneath that the style of play and how you know the skills that we used to do and you know he even you know opened up like the England uh, facility he was like you know if there's anything you guys need let us know and we'll see what we can do to help you over speed and all this stuff so he was definitely a, like a revolutionary coach for England I would say um, he you know I wouldn't necessarily get excuses from him you know it would just be who you know we're going to go with this guy or whatever which was fine and then you know I got hurt but he's probably the only person who brought me back into camp because uh, even though I was injured, which I was very grateful for as well, just to feel like I was still part of the team. Um, after that was kind of like the World Cup year. Well, actually, I got injured again. I was out for the whole season. So it was tough, you know. He, st- he, had, he had me in and around the squad the whole time he was involved, which for me meant a lot. Especially, It probably means, it probably means a lot more now than it did at the time as well. But I mean, ultimately, 2015 kind of put a nail in the coffin for me as well, though, when I might not have had the best season after being out for a year, uh, but I was still able to, you know, achieve some great stuff. And then I, fin- I finished off the year scoring a hat-trick against the Barbarians and then to be told, in essence, that you're not one of the top six wingers in the country. I was just like, mate, you know, this is... Now I know that there's there's other stuff going on. And there's no point in me trying to push to play for a team that's obviously not pushing for greatness, you know what I mean? And that's where my motivation moved to just trying to be the best that can play that the best the best ring in the league because if I focused my attention and energy on England, that was gonna bring me down, you know what I mean? And your focus obviously shifted after that 2015, but then Eddie Jones came in. So did you have conversations with him subsequently as, as well or not? Or was that very much you'd kind of parked that? I don't, I don't, to be honest, I don't really know Eddie Jones like at all, to be honest, you know, I think he had me come into like a mini camp one time for like a week. Just a bit, just a different guy, you know, just a different guy. But obviously he's had some success in the years. And then obviously did pretty well with England so far. I, I mean, I don't really watch England games and stuff like that. You know, last four years, obviously, I've been away. Um, prior to that, like I said, my attention was more on other stuff. But yeah, I, I, I can't really ask. I don't really know. I don't really know it. And go back to Stuart, Johnny. Stuart Lancaster, obviously, coming into to wrestling. That was really interesting what Christian said there. Because when you talk about the kind of coach that, that you want, Christian, to sort of elevate your game to another level from everything that the players in Leinster say at the moment that could well be Stuart Lancaster when I heard the news that he was coming you know some guys were like oh like you know the you know the one that didn't pick you I was just like man like it is what it is like I'm not I've never got like he asked any coach like I don't if I don't get picked I don't get in a stroke about it you know like I said I use it to like get better some more because obviously I'm not good enough right so that's just just kind of how I push it it was never like well yeah I know I'm good and I'm not going to do this. You know, I just go keep working, keep working harder. You know, if I was, if I'm at wrestling, I think it would be amazing obviously to work with him again. You know, even if you look at England, when Stuart was in, involved, we weren't very, we were, we were very low in the rankings. And when he came in, we started to, the style of rugby we played was good. You know, we started seeing some younger guys like myself come through and he basically birthed the England team that we, 
you know, saw Edjo kind of take on the last on that long winning streak, you know, players like Maro. I remember being in the Saxon squad with him and, you know, that's all Stuart. So it would be very exciting to work with him again, but it's sport and, you, you know, you never know what's what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, we'll have to just wait and see. And obviously you've given us so much detail on so many different subjects, but just going back to the one strand that runs throughout everything you've said, which is your motivation is always to better yourself and you go for the challenge and you want the biggest challenge and to make the biggest success of yourself. Going to the NFL is one thing and achieving what you managed to achieve there. I wonder if there's a little bit of frustration that you didn't achieve, I'm sure, more, which is what you wanted to achieve and, and why you think that that was, if it's just too tough to crack when you haven't started playing American football when you're about three years old. Um, but also this challenge of coming back to rugby, moving to Paris, taking it up again, is this an even bigger challenge? I mean, I think with the with the NFL stuff, it was always going to be like a tough mountain to climb, but it's, it's always going to be hard for, for people who haven't been through the system or have been involved with American sports to like really understand like the intricacies of it because you know to get to be at a team is like that is the goal rather than to make a 53 or to play games as such and the reason i say that is because let's take england for instance if you don't play for england you know what happens okay you're not getting paid as much for your club you're not getting paid the money per game you're not getting the extra money for commercial stuff you're not getting any endorsements and stuff because club games don't get this so that's why you want to play for England right with the NFL whether you're a head coach like a position coach the PR girl or the PR guy you know there's a job for everybody and everybody in America wants to play or so I say be involved in the NFL in any capacity whether it's a player or, or staff just like the NBA and the other sports so the goal is to just have the badge or to represent the badge. You see what I mean? So for me, to be in the NFL for three and a half, four years, you know, that was the dream. That was the goal. And then anything else would have been a bonus, right? Um, obviously, I want to make a 53. But then you have to look at, you know, I have no history in America because that's really what basically decides what your NFL career is going to look like. But then also to actually get the opportunity to play in preseason, which people say people look at that like, oh yeah, you just played preseason. Like you have to realise that if you if you can't be trusted to play, they're not you don't you don't actually play in preseason. So there's players who will be in the squad who've done training camp and stuff like that, who won't see a single snap in preseason. No matter who you are like for me to go over there and then actually get to play a whole game for the last game and then get a snap in the first game with some of the first team players and the second game then they didn't play me the third game because i was actually like a credible you know like athlete out there which if i played all four games and i made big plays in all four games then now it becomes political because if they don't sign me to their 53-man squad, then any other team can come and collect me and put me on their 53-man squad during, during the waivers, which is a 24-hour period where anybody can take whoever's left who hasn't been made 53. So, you know, these are all the things that 
people unless you're in America you have to understand how it works so for me I I lived my dream I was able to go to the NFL score 68 yard touchdown my first touch and then make a 48 yard you know receiving like breaking you know unfortunately my rugby instincts kind of took over when I should have run straight so I would have had two touchdowns but we don't like to talk about shoulda woulda couldas and stuff like that but for me I reached my goal the opportunities I was given just like always in my career I take them and I I, I do the best I can and after that preseason the following year came COVID hit so I, you know there was no preseason then my last year you know I got hurt so I was you know I was unable to play because I was having surgery so you know it's a shame but you know with with the with the racing stuff now i don't think it's as a bigger challenge as that i think really now like i said it's really just looking at seeing how i can elevate my game at this age knowing that there isn't many coaches out there who really are about their stuff when it comes to you know elevating players like myself you know that's where the challenge will come but like i said you know as i've come this far and um you know if i can't get it from coaches i've always been able to lean on players and i've got i'm not sure of you know world class players at racing so you know you've got Finn Russell the magician you know we call him Finn Marshall Benji Marshall but then you've got Warwick Lyon you know even some of the young guns you see i'm not one of those guys as ah oh, he's he's a young pup can't learn from him you know we've got Max Spring young full back we've got um Donovan Tap I can't even pronounce his second name what we call him Tafuna yeah yeah you know then you've got Gael Fiku Henri there's so you know there's so many players across the board who I'm just privileged to be around absolutely and before we sign off on a lighter note you mentioned him there Finn Russell I'm sure there's lots of people helping you settle in generally in Paris at the training ground off the field, who's helping you settle in? And has Finn shown you the highlights yet of Paris? Yeah. Uh, helping me settle in. Yeah, there's Finn for sure. He's been there, what, four or five years now. Some of the forwards, um, Sidat Gonsa, um, Hassan uh, Kolinga. You know, I've been, I've been to dinner with those guys and Gail as well, actually. We've had like a back dinner as well with all of us the other day. Um, I think... Um, Dimitri invited himself, but he's not a back. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's cool. I love I love Dimi though. He's he's awesome. I mean, me and Warwick are pretty close, you know, as the fullback wing combinations anyway. Um, we're always having little conversations. But to be honest, you know, being married now, you know, the wife comes first and stuff. We just had, you know, a couple of nights, um, a couple of dinner dates. But ultimately the main thing's been trying to, you know, get our house and everything sorted out um and to be honest with with racing as well they have such a great setup you know we have like a sports coordinator who's been very helpful with a lot of the stuff you know anything to do with house and cars you know now it's kind of like oh this is awesome that they have we have this here as well because you know i wouldn't have expected this because i know this was almost like you know levels up from you know what you usually get in a rugby world so i think you know like I said, Racing definitely have, you know, the right mentality about how to take care of players, um, how to um, enable us to focus on the main thing so that we, you know, there's as less distractions as, as possible. So, uh, 
they should make a rule um, that if you want to own a rugby team, you have to be a billionaire. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, <you're out. laughs> you need it. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a fair rule to be honest, because there is it's not cheap. You know what I mean? And we we basically a lot of teams try to do it the cheap way, and it's like, mate, we're professional athletes. Like you can't. There's no shortcuts. You tell us we can't take shortcuts, but then, you know, in rugby, there's just hella shortcuts. You know what I mean? It's a bit, it's a bit unbalanced. Then you know, you're gonna run into trouble, man. Tell World Rugby that one. That should be a new rule. <laughs> there you more go. Billion, more billionaires, right? Yeah, no bad. More billionaires. <laughs> we can all agree on that. And on the flip side of more billionaires, the most interesting thing you said there, Christian. I think Johnny and I will both agree. The wife comes first. So we didn't talk about. Finn showing you the the high life in this club or that club. Maybe he's he's better off avoiding Finn's pub crawl of Paris. Nah, Finn. Finn is uh, expecting. He is, mate. Mm, yeah, settled now. He left that life a long time ago, you know. So he's, you know what I mean. He's he knows as well uh, that he's got to take care of the wife. You know what I mean. So there's not there hasn't been any of any any pub crawls. I mean, I. Don't, I'm not really on the pub crawl stuff myself anyway, you know. If I am, I'll save it for end of season once we won some silverware and stuff. But, you know, I'm more of a chilled, you know, evening, like jazz, live music, few drinks, you know, some good food, you know what I mean? I like the the good cuisine. I mean, there's plenty of different cuisines around in Paris, man. Like, I'm only just realising that there's, like, different quarters for, like, you know, Latin quarter and... Like all, I'm like, mate, this is, this is pretty, it's pretty cool, man. It's next level. Well, you can take him for some jazz to help him wet the baby's head. I'm sure you'll love that, mate. <laughs> Bit of live music, yeah. few yeah. drinks, couple of whiskeys. You love that. Yeah, you yeah, can yeah, sort yeah. that for him. For real, for real. It's football. Thanks so much for joining us, Christian. It's so good to hear you already immersed in the Parisian culture and loving life over there. And hopefully, like you say, some silverware at the end of this season. And then maybe we'll chat again next season when you're still there under Stuart Lancaster, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, man. I mean, we'll, you know, it'll be it'll be awesome to still be here and stuff. But like I said, you know, it's the business you see. This might not be the attitude that obviously other rugby players have, but I don't know, because I know I'm used to before signing like two, three years and stuff. But like I said, just being in the NFL now, it's just like, you know, I'm more, I guess I'm more on the edge of my seat, you know, pushing for greatness, but also, you know, not knowing what's going to happen. And I kind of like living in that space now as well. You're an experienced man now, day by day, day by day. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome, bro. Cheers, Christian. Thanks so much for joining us. Speak to you guys later. Thanks a lot, mate. Cheers. Thanks, guys. See you there. Obviously, great to have Christian on, Johnny. A deep thinker, uh, someone who has got a lot to say, a lot of different experiences, and some of his takes were very interesting. Yeah, I think the fundamental one that I can align with him is that you do get a lot of crap coaches in rugby. That's not a, not a nice thing to say, but... He wasn't shy of saying that, was he? <laughs> but he, uh, what I like is that his, he's talented enough and he backs himself enough and he's got the mental fortitude not to let his life be dictated to by poor coaches or the choices made by one or two coaches along his career. And he's even changed his sport. Like if you go through his CV, he touched on towards them, but premiership record try scorer for a period of time, hat trick against the Babas. He ran in three tries past me in 2012. We all thought he was phenomenal, but then he didn't get any more caps. Went on to reach the pinnacle. So jumped England, played for British and Irish Lions, then decided to leave, went on the NFL international ID program to have the balls just to do that. 
that he's in the 1%, like I said, right at the start, that would choose to do that. But then actually to work your way through it, earn a contract, run in, again, we didn't touch on it, but run in a 55-yard touchdown on your first touch in yeah. an NFL game. It's ridiculous. The stuff this boy has done is phenomenal. Now, almost now age 31, for weirdly and different reasons, it's even harder. Like he's not Gif to get on that roster and play and get the game time at Racing. Like he's now on times against them, but the talent he has and the mental side that he has, he's on a different level with what he's done, what his CV suggests. Um, and if he can stay at Racing and if he can work with somebody like Stuart Lancaster, undoubtedly they get the best out of him. Um, but I just, I just enjoyed, like he talked at length. We didn't even have to talk much to him. The pair, like it was just simple <laughs> yeah. questions. It's always better that way. Exactly. But for, for everyone listening back home, a completely different character, one that you're probably not used to hearing from at all, but a real eye-opener into one of the world's best athletes and how they function, how they operate within a team sport, within two different team sports. Um, and so it was really interesting. Totally diverse and not what we're used to, but I loved listening. Towards the end, I wasn't even asking questions. I was just listening. Um, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely loved having him on and a real character. And you mentioned it there, not Jeef. So for Racing to move to sign him, that's a big statement as well. And and the, not another problem, but the fact that he's got guys like Warwick that he just mentioned that have come in on multi-year deals who aren't Jeef and they're taking up non-Jeef spots. He's only got one week, one year now. Um, so basically half of a season to rip it up. And we all know he can do that because we've seen him do it for Wasp in the Prem. We've seen him do it in the NFL. We've seen him do it for the Baba against the Babas and for the Lions. But he needs to get game time under his belt now and kick on and try and earn another contract. And like you said, he won't be defined by that and he might have options or alternate um, contracts elsewhere. But in France, if that's where he wants to be and he wants to stay in Paris, he needs to get some game time under his belt quickly and, and show everyone what he can do. Right, we spoke a little bit about last weekend's action earlier on, but it's about time we found out what your metre moment of the week is, Johnny. It comes from Leon, mate, which is surprising considering what I said about them last week. Um, but one heck of a week for Ethan Dumortier. Um, two tries against Montpellier and a huge win away from home. Impeccable in there where he took absolutely everything and made them look village. Um, and he created the third try with a 50-metre break himself. And he ended that all by being called up by Fabian Galtier for his first involvement in the French side. So amazing stuff for him. His performance and Leon is this week's metre moment of the week. There we go. That was Johnny's metre moment of the week. And metre is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer, recently making over 20 million cooks better with their game-changing app and completely wireless Bluetooth meat probe. You can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan, and you can get your hands on one at meter.com. Plus, you can get 20% off any full-price item. All you have to do is enter the code FRENCHPOD20 at checkout. That's FRENCHPOD20, and you get 20% off any full-price item at meter.com. Before we go, Johnny, we should have a quick word again about transfers it's all kicking off hey what have you heard <laughs> there's about a million um look what's happening at wasps isn't helping but you've got alfie barbieri already tipped to bordeaux vincent koch to stade francais b allo we didn't really ask we should have asked christian he mentioned he knew him didn't he he mentioned he knew him good mate potentially to racing and also we mentioned toulon's fly half search maybe one there as well yeah, so now looking like, well, again, French press reporting Dan Bigger likely or the, or the favourite club to take him will be Racing. I don't know what that means for Finn Russell, but Jacob Umanga, tip to go to Toulon, Jack Nowell to Clermont or Racing, uh, Josh Tuasova to Racing with Kenny Lynn, the coach, following him as well from Lyon, and potentially George Bridge to Montpellier. So 
look, the conveyor belt has started. There's so much going on. The agents aren't going to be shy of a bonus or two um, for this year. But that's it. It's kicked off already. And you can you can tell as well, it's the, it's the cream of the crop. The middle market of people like me coming to France has kind of fallen away and gone. It's now your rock stars and nothing else. Um, so there's some big money being thrown about. Thanks, Johnny. A massive thanks to Christian Wade for joining us as well. And thanks to all you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you can as well. Check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, Johnny. Cheers, mate. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.